hi, and welcome to Random Movie Night, or welcome back if you've heard us before, or if you are so attracted to the idea of hearing people talk about We Bought a Zoo, this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. My name is Keith Phipps, I'm a freelance writer, I'm here with Mike Ryan. Mike, hello? Hello. You can read Mike at uprocks.com, and we have a special guest, uh, David Fear from Rolling Stone Magazine. David Fear, say hello. Hi, Keith. And not Mike. Oh, hey. Sorry. Hi, Mike. Hey. Hey, I'm here too, buddy. Hi, Keith and company. Uh, so we're here to talk about the 46th most popular film of 2011. <laughs> what, a, what a sentence. Hell of a distinction. Yeah, we used to stop at 30, and then we went to 50, and we, it's opened up some more possibilities. But it's weird. When I say what it's like below and above, they're not like obscurities. It, it was less popular than, than The Adventures of 1010 and Contagion. And more popular than Moneyball, uh, hashtag more money than Moneyball, uh, and uh, Jack Jack and Jill, which I, I think of all of those as hits. I think it's just a, one of those things where there's so many more movies coming out now that number 46 is okay. Yeah, if this were number 46 of 1980, which is as far back as we go, I think we're dealing with something like a, a, a much more obscure than We Bought a Zoo. Something that played mostly drive-ins, I think, at that point. Here's the thing, though. It could be number six, the most six popular film of the year, or the 46th, and it's still, at the end of the day, We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> well, we'll get into the qualities of uh, We Bought a Zoo uh, shortly. I just looked up the 46th highest grossing movie of 1980, and it's The Island, starring Michael Caine. Huh. Hmm. Do I know that one? It's a good I, one. I don't know this movie. Written by the same guy who wrote Jaws. No, that's The Deep, though, isn't it? I think he wrote both. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the island with Michael Caine. Well, maybe, maybe someday yeah, could, could be we'll next. Talk about that. Yeah, we just we you, just uh, jinxed ourselves. Not to so, not to go into a tangent, but if you guys have a chance, look up the paperback cover of the island. It's iconic. Okay, I swear. I think it's the deep and the island. I think are the same movie, aren't they? Maybe no. not. All right. One involves mind. pirates. Oh, okay. All right, pirates. Uh, so this was Cameron Crowe's first film after Elizabethtown. After a six-year break, where he he also worked on a couple of music documentaries. This is this was uh, he came back to narrative films with "We Bought a Zoo." It is based on a true story of a British writer, not a uh, California writer, but a British writer named Benjamin Mee, who, as his wife was dying, purchased a rundown zoo and refurbished it. And they, you know, just like the book says, they they bought a zoo. Unfortunately, the, the outcome is the same. His wife died. So, so the big change this film makes is kind of shifting the timeline. So this was something that he did, that Benjamin Mee, as played by Matt Damon, did after the loss of his wife. But other than that, the, the basic outlines are, are taken from uh, fact. So, you know, we open this movie uh, with voiceover of, of uh, Benjamin Mee's son, uh, who is a troubled kid. And it's the only time we hear voiceover at all in the film. That's strange, right? It's unusual. Yeah, I didn't pay it's... attention to that part. I, I have no comment. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's that's on you. Yeah, you, you can tell us why. I, I didn't really. That That's, it's that's low on my list. There may have things. been more voiceover and then it was perhaps abandoned sometime during the production. I my my thinking was maybe it was was patched in at the last minute to give it some sort of context. It's a strange thing to just kind of open that way and then drop it. But anyway, we learned that he is a a, uh, a journalist. He writes he writes about he goes to dangerous places and writes about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, his job is uh, well, he's sort of on the ropes personally, not really doing that great at his job. And he turns down a chance to be a web columnist for a newspaper because it's 2011 and newspapers are dying. Um, so 
he walks away from this and then doesn't kind of doesn't know what to do with his life. How do you feel about the depiction of journalism in 2011? Does it, does, it, does it feel right? Well, he has a very optimistic view on the world. I noticed that. Like he's talking about how and this I, I want to be there when this younger generation saves us from what we've done. And I'm like, and now, you know, seven years later, uh, I don't think anyone would, would say that. I think we, we're all <laughs> a lot more pessimistic about where everything's going. It is funny how the he's like, I have all these pitches and I want my editor to get excited about him. And the editor seems sort of blase. And he goes, OK, fine, I'm quit. I'm going to quit. And uh, I think I'm going to go off and buy Zoo. Yes. And the editor very offers, offer, is basically offering him A, work, B, at the very least, let me lay you off so you get benefits. No, no, no. I don't want your charity. Wow. Yeah. All right. Sure. Something every journalist has said to his editor. No, thanks. I don't want your charity. Well, I don't want. I don't want the writing job you're offering or your charity. I don't want these <laughs> things. I'm. I'm gonna leave, and I'm gonna eventually buy a zoo. Steady income as a single dad in this economy. What? What are you thinking? <laughs> I, I guess I forgot how long it's been since I've watched this movie. I guess it's been since 2011 because I forgot a lot of the plot points in this movie. But that was one of them that I really forgot about. That, like, how dare you offer me a job writing on the internet as opposed to good, hard, clean print? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was a big argument uh, like a few years ago. It was the sound of him pushing all his chips towards print and then the sound of all those chips falling off the table. <laughs> it was – yeah, it was uh, – yeah, it was him and Rounders at the beginning, losing to Teddy, <laughs> Teddy <laughs> losing to Teddy KGB, oh, putting that's on, a lovely going connection all in. of the cinema do Damon right there, Mike. <laughs> right, that's what he was thinking. That's what that's what uh, Cameron Crowe said to him in that scene. Look, this is you <laughs> as Mike McD. Get back in that headspace. You're going all in, and guess what? It's a little different. He's gonna he's gonna take your money, but he's gonna offer you some of it back, and you say no, and you walk out, and you buy a zoo. And then Scarlett Johansson eats an Oreo. What a, what a, what a, what a film. I feel like we should level set a little bit here. Where, where is everybody on Cameron Crowe? I, I can go first. I'm, I'm a fan, and I, I, I'm always rooting for him. You know, lately it's been, it's been a little hard. Even a bad Cameron Crowe movie, I'm going to be a little kinder to than films from other, other people, I guess. But um, this, came, you know, this came after Elizabethtown and after a six-year break. And so I was really hoping this would be a great film. And I'll, I'll cards on the table. I don't think it's a great film, but I do think I, I feel like I haven't gone back and looked. But if you look at the review I wrote of this film in 2011, and my feelings on it now, it's probably ex- you can t- trace exactly what the effect uh, Parenthood has had on me, how much it softened me up, because uh, that was uh, that's pretty much how long my kids been alive. But anyway, Cameron Crowe, where, where is everybody? Um, well, I, jumping off what you just said there, losing a father. The scene where he's telling his son, like, you know, I'm the only one here that, you know, like, I'm the one, number one in line who actually cares about you. Like, that whole scene between, the, the, the dynamic between, between him and his son hits more now than it used to. So, uh, yes, life events, when you have a movie that's, at a, like, trying to be emotional, life events will make you reconsider some of the scenes you might have rolled your eyes at before. But overall, yes, I, I uh yeah, I'm very high on the Cameron Crowe filmography. Like, Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I just yeah. think he's a director. Like, unfortunately, a lot of directors, once they... I don't know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm of the theory that a lot of directors... It's rare when a director can still succeed later in his career. And obviously, plenty have. But I feel it's remarkable when they do. And that's why we signal, uh, single them out. I think Cameron Crowe is someone who has, at least at this point, 
kind of lost what made him special, but I still hope that he can get it back. Is that is that a fair thing to say? I don't know. I think it's fair. Okay. Yeah, I think the fact that you're not dismissing him outright and saying that you hope that he gets whatever mojo that he had that was making those you know really wonderful early movies you know, you haven't dismissed him, nor have I for that matter. I mean, I will say before I get into my take on Cameron Crowe that I, you know, I have a daughter and I was thinking as I was watching this movie that I would do anything for her. I would, I would scale mountains. I would swim oceans. I would cut off a limb and give her my kidney if need be. I know where this and is I, going. I don't think I would buy her a zoo. <laughs> there it is. There's the punchline. I knew, I knew Sorry. it was coming. No, it's great. I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't have a daughter, but um, uh, I, I, I will add too. I think, Especially like, you know, early Cameron Crowe movies, they, they relied so much on his younger self and his own experiences that I think now that he's kind of run out of, let's say, uh, you know, interesting enough experience of his own where he has to venture out and now he's, you know, doing movies that aren't what he used to do. I think that's another reason he's running into trouble. It's funny because uh, he's such a romantic at heart, and I think there's really great movies to be made when you're an older romantic who's had some dings and dents in your life and not become a cynic. Because that's the one thing I will say about his later films, the ones that people are are very ready to slag, rightfully so or not rightfully so, you know, mileage may vary, but that it's coming from a, a place where you feel like a romantic who's not become cynical but has a little bit of life experience in him can make some really beautiful, wonderful, profound movies. And it sort of pains me to think that the last three films that he's made, not counting the um, the documentaries, the last three narrative features that he's made, have such potential in that area and seem to go off the rails, uh, in some cases, spectacularly. What are what are the last three? Is it, is it Elizabethtown, this, and Aloha? Are those the last three? Is there something else? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I actually have a soft spot for the, his Vanilla Sky, which is why I'm not including Me it. Me too. No, 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 I, I think that's better than people a, give it credit for. I think that's a really good movie, actually. I'll, I'll go so far to say I think that I, shot I, I they did lie. in Times Square is amazing. The one where they did it like first thing in the morning on a Sunday where no one's in Times Square. I, I, that is, just, even yeah. the Dylan recreation, when he recreates the famous iconic you know, cover of the Free Will and Bob Dylan, I think is wonderful. It's a beautiful little homage that actually works within the entire ideology of of the film and the idea of memory and that kind of thing. It's, it's really smart. I think there's things that he does with the soundtrack on that, uh, the use of songs overlapping, uh, like sort of strange dissolves between songs that, that um, has, no one else has really done. And I, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of that film, but Elizabeth town, I mean, even with Elizabeth town and Aloha, there are sections I, I really admire. And I think of those three, this, this is my favorite of the three. Yes. Uh, I, there's, there's a kind of a check mark next to it. Cause it's, I think it's, it's fine. Uh, it's the top think, of the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I, I think. I, yeah, that's about right. And and it's 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 nicely shot. I don't always buy Damon's performance in this. And any movie that relies on a reaction shots of animals uh, is. <laughs> It's it's not not my favorite device, but <laughs> oh you know, come on, a, you you I, you always talking about how you love those famous movies where it you know it shows a chimpanzee and ah I I know you love every which way but loose. Uh, but I, yeah, I will well, say this: it takes a certain kind of actor to have witty banter with a tiger, and I don't sure. necessarily know that for all his strengths and talent, Matt Damon is that type of actor. Yeah, I th- I like Damon a lot. I'm not sure that kind of the tortured you know, monologue, you know, uh, monologues to himself that, you know, this is just sort of like, we're just kind of required to be 
um, an interior presence. It just doesn't. I don't know. It says not 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 what he does best. I don't think. Not in this mode, no, for sure. It doesn't. It's not that he's miscast. It's just it feels like there seems to be something vital missing. Maybe it is an interiority here because I've seen him do performances where he's had to have been more internal and interior and and it seems to work wonderful but i just think it's kind of a weird combination what he's being asked to do and how crow is asking him how to do it well we should uh talk about the plot just a little bit more at least uh so anyway the, i think the kid, people get the gist from the title they bought a zoo well they get the, they buy a zoo because they need to he needs a fresh start he can't he can't go to the restaurant well he liked the- he liked the house but then he's informed by jb smooth well, there's one condition, and then you just hear a lion start roaring, or is it a tiger? A tiger starts roaring, which tigers is... Tigers chuff. Yeah, which is, which is very strange that they could hear it so prominently from where they are in the house at the time, but they go for it. They buy a zoo. They buy a rundown zoo that needs to be fixed up, and they have a hard-charging zookeeper played by Scarlett Johansson and a colorful, uh, thickly-accented zoo designer played by Agnes McFadden. Uh, we have Patrick Fujit on hand. Who from, grew from, uh, like a foot since almost famous, by the way. Yeah, unrecognizable. Yes. I, I, I didn't even recognize him. And then Elle Fanning as uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, niece who works in the property as well. Cousin uh, niece? Niece, I believe. And she has a, a, um, a sweet little romance with Matt Damon's son. I could have done uh, without that. I didn't need that. It's a little much. I just like I like Al Fanning, and I, I think she's required to, you know, be a little bit more of a caricature than than she usually uh, is required to do. But I think she's she's the real thing. I think she's she's a really good actress. Um, you know, no, it's no, funny I don't, that I don't you, mean I don't you mentioned that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that tacked on. Like ah, now the kids like each other. Yeah, it's a bit much. But and the like, funny thing is, is that I think that Cameron Crowe actually identifies more with that kid than he does with Matt Damon's character, which is why that romance feels to him necessary and to the rest of us so tacked on. I think yeah. he still thinks of himself as that 13-year-old kid who has got to kind of win over the young woman and he has to brood and pretend he's not interested and get over his problems, but then in the end sees the sign on the wall, on the window, I believe, and then has to go and tell her and you know put his feelings and the heart swells and all that. I think that's, that's the character that Cameron Crowe thinks he still is. He's so I, definitely a much more typical crow hero than Matt Damon. So I have questions about this zoo. Sure. So before, uh, so when the house is for sale, is anyone living there? It didn't look like it. Was there anyone in charge of the zoo at that point? I think the staff was still around, but there was no one living in the house. Right, and the staff no, is who, around. Who owned it. And they're definitely not accepting cu- – the customers, zoo zoo patrons weren't weren't coming anymore, right? No. So no, they were just no, maintaining it with pluck and grit. Well, okay. Uh, so the scene where you know Scarlett Johansson is always talking about, like, I believe she uses the line, "I can't, I can't go out with my friends. They're out dating people named Brett." Very timely, very timely reference to a name right now. And I would like to meet my friends out, but I'm here taking care of the zoo all the time. So Matt Damon one night is like, "You know what? You go meet your friends." And this is before they reopen. This is when they're. I don't even think they're thinking about opening right now. Like they're just trying to get like the zoo back in working order to pass an inspection. And Scarlett Johansson mentioned something like things she had to do that night. And one of them was, was we just got a new shipment of exotic snakes, but you can leave them in their crate till morning. Why are they, why are they, why are they still getting new animals? That's a good question. Also, mm-hmm. I guess, can you really just leave them in a crate like that? I, I, I assume seem... that there's feed in there. Like, I don't know how that works. 
Or they could just go a while without eating, probably. What's the thing that Chekhov says? If you put a, card, a crate of snakes on the mantelpiece in Act 1? Yeah, that's his Gotta quote. go off in Act 3? That's a direct quote. Yeah. Direct Chekhov quote. You looked that, Although, you looked that really one can... up. I know you did. That You looked up his famous snake quote and just read it off the internet. How dare you? Hashtag research. If you introduce it in Act 1, it's, it is um, – the, the crate will open one scene later in Act 1. <laughs> Act 1, 2.0. Oh, there's another part. Okay. Do you want to know? Here's, here's my favorite scene in the movie. That's not true. But it, it's my favorite scene in the first act when um, the, the principal has Matt Damon come to the school because the son has been painting art that they find offensive, right? So he's, he wants to tell you know Matt Damon, hey – there's something going on here because look, and he shows examples on the wall of uh, paintings that other kids are doing. But then Matt Damon's son drew a painting of a man with his head being cut off. Yet it's still hanging on the yes. wall at the school. They hung it up. I, it also it looks like an old. <laughs> like, why? Why did they hang it up if it's so offensive? Like, well, we still have to hang it. It's it can't it can't ignore his talent. But we just want to like I don't. Why was it hanging on the wall? It's true, and, it, and it, I was a little troubled by that. I mean, I, th- I think you know, it doesn't that they hung the painting or that he painted the painting? <laughs> no, I was more troubled by the the idea that any you know depicting something disturbing means you're disturbed. But that's that's kind of my own thing, I guess. I don't know, um, but it just seemed like that was a you know what some kids some kids are into that. It doesn't mean they're messed up, you know. I mean, no, clearly kids... clearly the kid's processing something. But I'm kind of with Mike. Why are you? Why are you hanging this picture up on the school wall? <laughs> to, you, you call the parents in to because to, to, it's such a problem, yet it's it's displayed for everyone to see. Well, the the dad's called in because he's stolen something. Oh, that's I, true. I think, yeah, I think I think the art was just a sidebar. It's a like, sidebar. Also, we're troubled by this. It's still, but they still hung it up. It's still framed and ready to go for anyone to see. Luckily, it's the only inconsistency in this movie. That, hey, you know what? That's why I brought it up because it's it's so strange to have something so out of the blue like that. But glad you got out of the way. Okay. Also, when Scarlett Johansson shows up in this movie, this is how long it's been since I saw it. I completely forgot she was in it. This is yeah. not this is not a movie you think of when you think of Scarlett Johansson. Oh yes, her performance in We Bought a Zoo. That's true. That's true. But there she is. There she there is. She she's is. there. It's true. And I she's can fine. Yeah, she's fine. I never yeah. really buy the romance between between them. Um, I'm not sure. You know, but let's let's that... talk about let's talk about this for a second because if there's one thing that Cameron Crowe usually does really really well, it's that kind of like romantic banter, that sort of flirty banter thing that he does. I mean, think or the idea of like admitting your feelings and having that being reciprocated, and the awkward sort of. I'm not hitting on you. I'd be offended if you did banter between Scarlett Johansson and Matt Damon. I mean, this is normally his sweet spot, Cameron Crowe's sweet spot. And it just like, it feels so weird yeah. and it feels so awkward and it feels so like, why am I listening to this? Yeah. And this, compare to that to like, like real indication that something is very off in this movie. You're hundred percent right. Cause compare that to like uh, John Cusack and uh, Ioni sky in uh, say anything like Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. Yeah. It's such a weird line to even have in the movie at all. Why even? Why even have it in there? I don't think. The, I don't think at any point we're thinking, man, Matt Damon needs to needs to hurry this up with with Carl Johansson. Like I don't. I don't understand that. And to its credit, it is the film seems to recognize that is not you know the fix all for everything. I mean, she's not in the final scene of the movie where they kind of go back and it turns into How I Met Your Mother, I guess, uh, for a minute, moment there. But you know, to its credit, it doesn't 
really try to say that, you know, he's met this wonderful woman. It can move on now. That's just sort of something else that happens. We do get a Temple of the Dog song in this movie, though. Which I should bring up. It takes him a whole hour to put in a Temple of the Dog song. Yeah. That kind of restraint is impressive. It is. I I thought the same thing. Like, all right, I'll give you an hour before we get to get to get to something that could have been on the uh, single soundtrack. But I I actually checked the running time when I was watching it again to be like, oh, when's it? Oh, wow. A whole hour. Sheesh. Way to go, Cameron. The music in this is a little more on the nose than I expect from Cameron Crowe. I, I like the Jonesy score. It's a little, it can be a little cloying, I guess. Jonesy is one of the main people from Stigler Rose. But the fact that they're, they are worried that it's going to rain and they play the song, I think it's going <laughs> to rain today by Randy Newman. Right. That, that's very, it's Forrest Gumpy. For, well, the kid yeah. gets kicked out of school and suddenly Tom Petty's don't come around here no more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like, it, it's almost shocking uh when when hunger strike starts because it's like there's been no other song like this in the movie though i don't mind stealing bread like all right like we're all right we're back to we're back to uh we're back to a campbell scott movie it's, it's true but it feels very the whole soundtrack feels very cameron crowish where you've got a tom petty song one second and then a wilco and billy bragg song the next second and then Randy Newman and Temple. I mean, it's just, it's kind of all over the mixtape Mac for him. But it's all stuff that he would probably be listening to while sitting in his living room writing this or, you know, uh, punching up the script. We should also bring up that it's not like he uh, co-wrote the script after Eileen Broch McKenna, who is probably best known now for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and her The Devil Wears Prada script, um, like had done a pass on it. And supposedly, so he told The New York Times, at least, that he then kind of added his own stuff in. I mean, that's why I actually pointed out the awkward hit on you banter because it feels like it's this, these very McKenna scenes happening and then all of a sudden this exchange between the two of them drops in there and you're sort of like, well, I see what Cameron Crowe added here. Okay. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I do enjoy also that Thomas Hayden Church is in this movie basically playing his, this character from Sideways. And John Michael Higgins is in this movie playing a character from some other movie entirely. From, from a Christopher Guest movie. Exactly. That's true, yes. Okay, I wanted to talk about John Michael Higgins, too, because, okay, I actually kind of like him in this movie because, like, it needs, like, something, and then he shows up, and he plays the most passive-aggressive character of all time. My favorite one was, um, I forgot what he's even looking at. He's he, he's the inspector uh, who's, who's made out to be uh, the bad guy. Like, this is the villain. Uh, the inspector who's going to give him a bad review, and at one point he's he's looking at something and kind of frowns and writes some writes something down and just looks at the the zoo staff and goes, "That's one way to do it," and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there is there any any phrase in the English language more passive aggressive than something's done correctly, but to say that's one way to do it? I don't know, Mike. Is there a more passive aggressive <laughs> statement than that? I don't know. Is that's there... one way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I also will say nobody uses an electric tape measure as a as a compensation tool better than John Michael Higgins. You know what? In a world where every movie, the universe has to be at stake, it's not the worst thing that the most dramatic part in this movie is a broken lock on a tiger or a, on, a, on a bear cage or no, a lion cage. Sorry. Lion cage. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the thing I appreciate about it. The, 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 I was feeling support. nervous during that scene, even though I knew what happened. Like I'm like, yeah. it, it's because you know what? Uh, Carl Johansson messed up and, and got on the radio and kind of made it clear something was going on at the lion cage. And 
man, John Michael Higgins did not, he did not waste a second. I'm headed that way to check out what's happening. By the time they got there, they had fixed it. Spoiler. And it was fixed. The lock was fixed. The zoo opened. But, but, but nobody came. Nobody shows up on opening day. Why is that? I've been thinking about this. Um, So, yeah, so there's a storm and there's a tree in the way, right? So why is no one in our zoo? So they all run down there. They see the tree and then they go over the tree. And there's just, you know, like a field of dreams level of cars out there, like trying to get to the zoo. So Matt Damon's like, well, come on, everybody. You know, we're open. We're open. What's the legal liability there for like, as there's no way someone doesn't twist an ankle climbing over that tree, right? No, no. Like, there were people yep. that they had to help up that should not be climbing over trees that they're like, yeah, let's, let's haul them over this tree. Like, what, like they just got this zoo open. And they just finally passed their stupid inspection, and now they're they're probably gonna get sued out of you know into oblivion because they're someone's gonna hurt themselves on that tree. That's all I could think about. So to back up a little, how does everyone feel about the? Um... I'll never get my answer. Okay, fine. <laughs> Some there... cases best left unsolved, maybe. It's it's the mysteries of the movies. Yeah, <laughs> movie magic. Mysteries of the movies. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how does everyone feel about the, the sick tiger subplot? It's a little. I think that, that's a little much for me. Oof. Yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, clearly you understand why it's there. Um, yeah. Uh, it just in terms of metaphors, maybe a little heavy-handed. Yeah. Maybe? Wait. It was. Yeah. Supposed, it was supposed to mean something else. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> No, sometimes yeah. I thought he just really cared about this. I thought he just really cared about this tiger. tiger. Is literally just a dying tiger. <laughs> maybe I thought he was just really movie. into this tiger and like was sad that it was dying. Maybe watch the movie again. Oh man, I miss I I completely missed the whole message. One thing that survived from this film as as an internet meme is the twenty seconds of insane courage line. Oh, what really? I yeah. What what, what who who are you following on Twitter? No, I just you, you Google that. You see it all over the place. I was I was looking to see I, I was looking to see if that line had sort of any kind of second life because it's the closest thing this has to like, sort of like uh, you had me at hello moment. Okay. And it does. Uh, it is it is definitely something that people have turned into memes and passed around. You know, this is kind of a kids movie, kind of. Um, although I was, I was wondering if my kid would enjoy it after it devolves into just like you know people shouting at each other after a certain point. Uh, but, but I'm imagining you watching it with your daughter, and then just at the end, what do you think? Yeah, and just seeing where that goes. Oh, uh, I think you, probably. And then you could be like, "Do you did you understand the metaphor with the tiger? You know who that was really meant to be." These are actual conversations we that we have after movies, although not necessarily this one. But but yeah, there's I guess probably a generation that's kind of grown up with this movie. I'm I'm, I'm sure it's it it's playing. It has kind of a second life on cable, right? Doesn't that seem mean to that generation though? I mean, are there other movies that that generation <laughs> could grow up with? I know. Yeah. I, know. Well, I realized the first. I mean, I what if you were a kid, okay, and you're like, I, I hear all all this stuff about the moving pictures, the projecting the the light images on the wall, and like you're so excited when you finally go get to see your first movie, and you're sitting there in the theater and you're so happy and stuff, or you're or you're at home and you. Your parents turn on HBO and, oh, my God, you get to watch HBO. That's the show or that's the cable channel that adults watch. And then they turn it on and it's We Bought a Zoo. That's your introduction to movies. We Bought a Zoo. I think you could do worse. That's sort of like where I land with this movie. Uh, you could you could do worse. If it's your first Cameron Crowe movie, there are better Cameron Crowe movies ahead of you. I mean, the first movie I took my kid to see in the theater was, was uh, Planes, Fire and Rescue. 
Because I figured sure. the, the stakes were low. Like if if she couldn't sit still that long, we go, we we could leave, and it was fine. And if she sat and enjoyed it, great, we can go see better movies. And that that's kind of like that's where I, that's where I ended up with. Uh, I'm looking with, at what else they could have seen that weekend that we bought a zoo came out. They could have seen Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwreck. Mm. Suddenly, we bought a zoo. Seems like a masterpiece. Sherlock yeah. Holmes: A Game of Shadows. Not the still the, going with we bought a zoo. Warhorse. The lesser of the Warhorse. I love Warhorse. Really? I do. I've never heard yeah. that sentence. No, I love Warhorse. I, it, 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 uh, it, it really gets to me. I like that movie. Now, a lot. do you do you love it or strongly like it? I don't want to hijack us from the we bought a zoo conversation here, but I'm just curious: is Warhorse one of those movies that you will like, you know, die on a hill for, or is um, it just a movie that you admire to a certain degree? So I think the fact that I haven't rewatched it might mean that it, that it that's sort of it probably falls into the first camp, not the second camp. But at the end, I'm like, this is a great movie, and I, I probably not like like my top ten Spielberg, but it's it's definitely I feel like it's a very highly accomplished film that I that I like a lot. So maybe the first. If it was between Warhorse, uh, We Bought a Zoo, or Aloha, what wins <laughs> in that one? Oh, what what a, what a trio of movies. Okay, a Michael Bay movie. Aloha. Which one? Which one? Cuz he liked Bad Boys. Or we bought a zoo. I like that one. The, the Island. How about this? Michael Bay's The Island, not the Island film we were talking about earlier. Sure. Or Aloha or being punched in the face or we bought a zoo. What wins then? Um, uh, we bought a zoo. We bought a zoo is fine. I'd watch We Bought a Zoo again. It's okay. I'm always going to take watched, I, yeah. I don't care how bad a movie you say, David. I'm going to choose that over punched in the face. Yes. Like I know, I, I know, I know. It's a fun thing to say sometimes. I'd rather be punched in the face or die than see this again. But when it comes down to it, I will choose a bad movie over death. I don't know. There's I'm my statement. I'm hearing, on, that, on, uh, on, I'm hearing that Venom's pretty bad. It actually, sounds like a punch in the face might be preferable. Oh, and I would and watch. Last Ve- I, I'd watch Venom again in a second. That movie is so bad, but I had so much fun watching it. I don't care. It's bad. It's a bad movie. You cannot like. I, I'm not arguing it's good, but man, sign me up. Yeah. Like, if if they did a midnight screening of that, where you get to act out scenes, I would. I would dress up and I would go. I feel like I accidentally put us off. Uh, put us into a detour away from the movie that one review title called "Almost Shameless." So we should probably get back to the. Uh, <laughs> I like to, to the so so thing. Keith and Which I get off subject pretty much zoo, every in terms of in terms of truth and advertising titles. We bought a zoo wins. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I love I, that. I love that Keith and I get off subject pretty much every one of these, and yeah, and and our and our guest is the yeah. one this time trying to keep us on topic. But I, I think <laughs> almost shameless isn't fair because I I I know it's sentimental and it's manipulative, but I think that's. And kind shameless of... does not rhyme with famous. Hello, well, that's true. But Hello. I don't, it's, it's kind I of not right through too. So I you have to kind of. I think that's who Crow is, and when when it works, you know, when it works, you get uh, Jerry Maguire. It's it's delightful from start to finish, and 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 wrenching. And then when it doesn't, it just feels a little off, like this or well, so or let's, Aloha. Let's talk about this then, because why why doesn't it work? What happened in those last three movies? I understand Elizabeth Town, the reception that it got, and the fact that it's not it's not a very good movie. I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's not a very good movie. Kind of shook him, and I understand if like the next two films he does after that. Maybe, you know, he felt like he was a little bit off his game and it kind of pushed him towards being off his I game. Think, but what, I think you're right. Think I think he lost his I think he lost his uh his I think he lost some confidence. He might he'll probably never admit that, but I think he did. I think he lost uh or at least questioned what he thought made a movie good. Because obviously when he finished Elizabethtown and turned it in, he's probably like, Hot damn, another hit. And then uh and it wasn't and people didn't like it. Uh and now and then he had to re reassess everything. 
And I think Aloha was, it was one of those movies that he worked on for years. And I think what finally made it out was not really the cut he would have preferred. I mean, that, I've, I've picked up on things, you know, I've read things about that over the years. And just watching those mo- the movie, you can feel, you can just feel like there's there's another movie in there waiting to escape. I don't know if it's a better movie, but it it, it feels like, you know, there's something less compromised than what we got out there. You know what I think yeah, we should uh, do? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think of this idea? I feel that um, after Boyhood, Richard Linklater needed like just something like a fuck around movie, basically, just to kind of get his gears winding again, where it's like, I'm having fun. I'm kind of going back to basics. And then we got everybody wants some. And then he got that out of the system and then went on and did some other things. But like, I think Cameron Crowe needs to do something similar, like just well, do think- something that's like. Almost like uh, one of the what, – what, what did Linklater uh, – spiritual sequel. That's what he called it, to Days and Confused. I feel that he should make a spiritual sequel to some like, – like say anything or something like that and just to get it back. Well, did and you and Linklater watch- didn't need to get it back, but he did it for different reasons. But I think, I think that it, this, doing the same thing would serve Cameron Crowe well. Did you ever watch Roadies, though? Uh, I, 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 I did yes. not watch that show. I know it's, it's very much it. a spiritual sequel to Almost Famous, and oh. it's very much not good. Uh, I mean, I bailed after a couple episodes, but it's it, that's that's a was he rough... directing those or was just he producing them? He directed the early episodes. Okay. I think he wrote. He wrote most say, of them, if not all of them. Right, and it's it's rough. Um, Could roadies have been a, a? Was there enough in there to make one good movie out of? Or no? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good yeah, question. Thought- I don't I don't think it would have made a good two hour movie. And I also think that in a lot of ways, the idea of Cameron Crowe doing a series of having 10 hours to play with should it should have fit him. It should have totally yes. been perfect for what he does and does well. And it just does not come together. I'm with you, Keith. Yeah, I wouldn't mind him giving it another shot, but it's it's. Yeah, that that one that was a failed experiment to be sure. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll maybe wrap things up on We Bought a Zoo. Will, what do you will think? We, will we see another great Cameron Crowe movie? Yes or no? Yes. I like. Yeah, I, he's an optimist. I'll be an optimist too. Yes, he will. He will rally at some point. He's not going to be like Billy Wilder, where he just sits and doesn't make movies for the last thirty years of his career or whatever, and then gets interviewed thirty years later by whoever the next Cameron Crowe is, right? For a book, right? A good book, very good, a great book. book. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should probably go to the random number generator and figure out what we're going to watch. Oh, boy. Mike, you have control. Here we go. Are we ready? Are we ready? We are going to go to the year. We're headed back to 1990. And we'll be discussing the 39th highest grossing movie of 1990. Again, what a sentence. Green card. Green card, which I've never seen. Um, and I, I kind of, it's one of those, I kind oh, of always those green cardians are going to be all over us for this one. <laughs> I think they're called green cardigans, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We're going to get the, we're going to get the wave of Twitter people like so angry, whatever we come up with on green card. I, oh man, I don't know if this one's a good idea. Too many fans of this movie. Too many fans. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's just, we're going into a hot button move. Oh man. Uh, let tread lightly. I like uh, Peter Weir, and this is one of a Peter Weir movie I've not seen. Uh, so I'm looking forward to to watching it. All right, Dave, Dave, you coming back for that one? I'll come back for whatever you guys have me. Okay, well, oh, I, I like. That. I am filled with scotch and bitterness and impure thoughts. I will do whatever you guys want me to do. <laughs> All right. Well, well you know what? You know, you know what gets rid of some bitterness? We bought a zoo. Oh. Uh,
the sweetness. You should watch that movie. It'll 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 warm your heart. I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for joining us <laughs> for, for, for Random Movie Night. Uh, my name is Keith Phipps. I'm a freelance writer. You can find me on Twitter at kphipps3000. I collect my clips at keithphipps.com. Mike, where can we find you? We, we really need to figure this out, like, that we have the same website name. That's true. You're also at I'm also, I also, I also own the URL keithphipps.com, and I put my stuff there. And I, I am starting to realize this is extremely confusing for people looking for yeah you and yeah. not me and i don't know why i bought it but i just thought ah i think that it's, just a good, it. it's just a good url and i took it so anyway we bought, we for now for now i'm still i'm at keith's site too we bought a website <laughs> and david how, how, how about yeah. you you're on twitter we bought keith i'm on i'm on twitter at david l fear uh and you can uh you can read my stuff under the byline noel murray at uh, <laughs> <New York. laughs> uh i i would steal noel's byline in a heartbeat like, oh a god me too Oh yeah, the, all right. I'm in. We're, we're we're all. That's where you find all our stuff. <laughs> that's well, how he's so okay. prolific. There's actually five people writing under the name Noel Murray. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if that wound up being true? Even though he's I like mean, we, we know Coons it's not. But if that were a real thing, if if everyone just wrote under that byline. <laughs> all right. Well, our uh, production help is provided by Dan Jakes. Um, we should our... give we should give him a heads up about this one. He might like listening to the end of this one. Certainly, and our. Our opening and closing music is from Lee Rosevier from the album Music for Podcasts. And that's it. We'll My be back album. again. Yep, it's a great album. We'll be back soon. 